My guest today is Kevin Kaduck. He is a former Yahoo Sports editor, big baseball guy. He started his own venture called Midway Minute. I believe he's about six months into this project. He's here to talk about it. Kevin, why don't you give me the background of how you found yourself with a newsletter and if you anticipated <laughs> that happening uh, in the year of our Lord 2020? That's a great question. Um, I left Yahoo. I was kind of got caught up in a, one of the, the fun downsizings there, which kind of happens to, to the best of us. And I'd always, you know, I was really interested in the newsletter medium. And I had this in the back of my mind, you know, even to the point where I had the name Midway Minute. And I even went out and got logos, even while I was working at Yahoo, just because, you know, if you're a journalist now, you have to stay one step ahead of the game. And if, if you know, it wasn't clear before 2020, it, it should sure be clear now. And in February, I said, let's just, you know, let's just launch this thing. I had a list of about three different people, uh, Jay Busby, my, my former colleague at Yahoo, my wife and my, my dad, and just wanted to see how it would go from there. And uh, it kind of took off and I thought, okay, this could be something great. And then a month later they got completely rid of sports. So uh, the cool thing was like 2020 was a great time to, to build things and, and really, you know, kind of figure out what was important to you and, and what you like doing. And, and so I just kind of kept on going and, and, you know, five days a week, I would write something about Chicago sports, even though there wasn't something going on. Um, if it was the Cubs and Sox talking about getting back to the field and, and fighting with the players union, I'd write about that. I'd do deeper dives um, with stuff like the last dance when the Sammy Sosa ESPN um, 30 for 30 or whatever it's called came out. I actually uh, went and wrote a pretty cool article about a story that kind of been lost in the last 20 or so years about the fight that happened over his 60 second home run ball. I don't know if you're kind of familiar with that, but long story short, one of the ball hawks caught it, a mob descended upon him, and someone kind of came out with it, and there was a legal fight. So I caught up with both sides, and it turned out that the, one of the ball hawks was, was really uh, not happy <laughs> with the whole thing, even 22 years later. So it's, it's been a fun thing. Obviously, sports have come back, and my whole aim right now is just to kind of make a fun place for Chicago sports, good writing, good community, and uh, it's been a fun ride so far. So if people wanted to sign up, they could sign up at midwayminute.win. That's W-I-N, and it's it's free to sign up. So I think we're both products of this uh, blog 2.0 era. Um, mm -hmm. OGs, uh, early, getting up <laughs> in the early morning, checking those box scores, seeing what we, what we could do. And I feel personally that through the years – um, with through attrition, through everything getting a little bit more corporate, that sense of mm -hmm. community, that stable of commenters, that two-way conversation has largely yeah. been lost. So when you say sense of community with the newsletter, what are mm -hmm. you getting? What are they getting from you? And, and what are you getting back in return from them? Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I honestly have got more great feedback on this newsletter than I did probably the last 10 years of writing for Yahoo Sports. And I think some of that is to kind of be too expected when you're writing for the world, really, with Yahoo Sports, with the, with the traffic we were pulling down there. Uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit, you're going to feel a little bit more displaced. And, and with Chicago, um, I honestly really miss writing about Chicago. Um, that, that's kind of how I started out. This is what I love. This is what I'm interested in. And, and there was only so many times I could write about LeBron or Tom Brady or whatever, you know, whatever those guys were up to. So I just kind of wanted to get back and, and write about the things that were important to me. And, 
And what I'm seeing is that people enjoy every morning getting something in their inbox. Um, that's important to them. That's local to them. And the other kind of cool thing is I have a ton of readers who are relocated to California or Florida or Arizona. And they say, this is my way to stay plugged into Chicago. And I try to cover a lot of different things, obviously. I'll include links there to things that are happening in neighborhoods or restaurants so people can kind of get that, that flavor. Um, so that's been interesting. I, I just kind of really love opening up um, Twitter and, and seeing people kind of talking about something that I, I wrote and was in their inboxes, you know, at 5 a.m. that morning. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. 5 a.m., that, uh, that suggests uh, that the newsletter is put to bed uh, the previous night. Can you walk me through what yeah. your day-to-day -day looks like? Because, uh, you know, I, I assume you're on the uh, Cal Ripken Jr. No Days Off plan. That's pretty much true. It's been a long year. I'm feeling a little, little exhausted and toasty right now at the end of 2020, but, but it's been good. Yeah, I I'd actually sit down after, you know, 7 o'clock and kind of figure out what's, what's going on and, and see what notes I've taken throughout the day what's going to be good for that day's newsletter if I, it's not a longer project that I've been working on and um, put it together. So it's, you know, it's kind of like a four or five hour process every night. And uh, it's fun. I, I think early on, it was really nice to be tethered to something when we were all locked down and have something to listen to. And on Tuesday nights, I would put the, the fish concert that they were broadcasting on and just put and kind of zone out and, and have fun doing that. And, um, you know, not now it's, you can actually watch games while you're doing it, which is cool. And the baseball season, while it was a little weird, was fun to to stay, you know, have a Cubs and Sox game every, every day. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, obviously a lot of work, but uh, I think a rewarding one. I try to hit every inbox at 5 a.m., but there's sometimes I get a little too tired and say, you know what, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and finish this thing off and people get it at 7 a.m. But You'll be amazed at like how many people are up at 5 a.m. reading this thing. <laughs> like, I'll open it up and like 15% of the readers will already click through it. So, Yeah, you wonder if the subscriber base for a newsletter is, is more prone to waking up that early. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're sleeping until 11, maybe you're not a newsletter guy or gal. I was just thinking of all the great journalism that's probably been fueled by, uh, <laughs> by Fish's music in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the recent years. They should really get some sort of lifetime achievement well, you know what, Trey Anastasio is one of the few people that have won 2020. Like, he actually won, but from whether it was like the little songs he was producing in his apartment early on to, uh, to, to the Beacon Jams, the run that he just, just finished. It's just been unbelievable. Uh, a couple more on, on, on Midway. Mm -hmm. What are people getting from you? Can you give me your best sales pitch about, about why I need this in my yeah. life? And, and to preface, I... Spent several years in Chicago. I am I I, I love this city. Uh, it's been a long right. time since I've since I've been there, but I still feel connected to it. And it seems like a really great item for me to be able to uh, to feel that in my DNA. So when I open up in that morning, what, yeah. what type of stuff am I going to get? Well, I, I think that uh, you know, like myself, you're you're a parent. You're a busy guy. It's hard to kind of sift through everything and kind of figure out what the best of the best stuff is and in 2020, there was so much noise on social media and you could go through Twitter and just get depressed and angry and all these other emotions that you probably don't want to feel while you're looking for a Chris Bryant highlight or a Tim Anderson bat flip, right? So I was like, okay, that can go in and, and make a fun experience every morning. And I've been working on the internet for, for 15 years now. And I've always really felt like 
I want a lot of substance. I want to make people click. Even when I was doing, you know, quote unquote, kind of clickbaity stuff for Yahoo Sports, I was driven to get clicks. I still wanted to add value. So when I sit down with Midway Minute, okay, yeah, you probably know that the Cubs won last night, the Sox won last night, whatever, the Bears still suck. How can I add value to that? Um, and so whether it's one of my takes, uh, whether it's a, a longer in-depth thing that you, you might want to save to lunch to read, it's there. And then also, I really like the community, and there's so many, still so many great writers in Chicago, and I, I wanted to kind of spread the love around to them too. So at the bottom, there's there's five different links to great pieces from the Athletic, the Sun Times, the Tribune, any of you know the great Chicago blogs that are still running. Um, so that's kind of the whole thing. I, I think it's a little longer than an elevator pitch. I've caught you up in the uh, I've caught you up in the doorway, but that's what it is. Oh, I'm always I'm always willing to chat. Uh, anything to anything that keeps me getting back from, from real work. It's cool how you are giving the old school hat tip to, uh, to people who are also, also doing great work, whether that be at a newspaper, whether that be at somewhere else. Yeah. That's another thing. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a, a back in my day. Type, <laughs> two old, guy, two old guys complaining. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, like there is just something so nice about that, about the, the theory that you, know, you light someone else's candle and yours still burns as bright or something even less poetic in the, in the, in the blogging content game, I guess we'd have to come up with this. So that's well, all. At, 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 at some point it kind of seems like we lost that, right? It's like social media just kind of overtook everything. And I don't, I, I'm not like a huge person on Twitter. I don't love it. I don't think I'm good at it. I don't like always being on it. And maybe sometimes that's to my detriment of my success or my profile. Um, but I, yeah, I do miss those early days in blogging where it's like, Hey, Kyle wrote, you know, something, go check it out. And then you do your link dump and Kevin wrote something, go check it out. And, you know, I, I think it was great from a reader standpoint. There's, you know, I learned, you know, so many different of so many different people and made a lot of friends, you know, just through Will Leach, you know, linking people on Deadspin 15 or 20 years ago. And then I just think it was, you know, good also, you know, for you and I, we're, we're sitting at home and we're doing this stuff by ourselves. It's, we need that community. So what does the business model look like here? How are you, how are you putting yeah. food on the table with something like this? Because that is the constant struggle. Um, we are still, right. uh, the big lead is still, you know, on, uh, on an advertising based platform. So much of that sure. is contingent to that. How do you see your return? Sure. I, I, obviously, it's, it's still in the audience. Uh, I've been able to monetize through subscriptions um, right now. Uh, people that subscribe to it get it all five days a week or actually whenever I write it and the free get it, you know, two to three times a week. And I've seen a good, you know, good return on that. Um, that said, I don't think that's going to support a family. Um, so kind of going forward and as I kind of work down the path, it's like, okay, how, how do I work in local advertising? How do I work in a little affiliate marketing? Um, also while building that list. So, you know, I won't lie. I think any journalist listening to this, maybe wanting tips, it's, you know, it's, they make it seem so easy. I'll just open up a Substack, and all you need is a thousand paying subscribers. I don't have a thousand paying subscribers, right? It's not easy. And, you know, unless you're somebody who's got 200 or 300,000 followers and can do something like right like that, it's going to take a while. And um, I'm kind of in this for the long haul. I've, I have freelance projects um, that can kind of really, you know, build the runway for me as, as I do this. And I'm grateful to do that. Um, so, like I said before, a lot of it's like, building the plane in the air. No one's done this. A lot of people are doing this and everyone's trying to figure out the right way. So 
I think at the end of the day, if I'm still putting out a great product every night and people are opening it, uh, it's eventually going to work itself out. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, two things. You mentioned that 2020 is a year where people got to experiment, whether that be by choice or by necessity. And I've seen a lot of great work. And then I also think, you know, I'll say this, getting up every day and, and finding interesting content and trying to present it in a way that you feel proud about and readers are going to walk away feeling yeah. glad to have spent that time with you. I mean, that is, that is not a skill that grows on trees and it, and it becomes, <laughs> and, and it's a product of a lot of hard work. I think, you know, again, it's not to, it's not to consider, pair ourselves to any type of heroes, but it is more challenging than it looks from the outside and any right. bit of uh, positive feedback certainly helps. But what I would say for you is, and a lot of people who are trying these new things and, and trying to figure out exactly building the plan in the air, we're going to figure out how to land it. And then we're right. all going to follow up, follow the, what that person's game plan was. And that will be the yeah. future. It's never going to go away, but you can't teach someone to work hard and kind of have a knack for content. So I, that's, you know, I, that's one thing you have going for you in the future. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's been fun. And I actually have a theory that like the entire cycle is starting again, where everyone's going to go off and start their own things. And then people, you know, the bigger audience, the bigger corporations are going to see your audiences and we're all going to get sucked up again. I think that's kind of how it's going to work. It might take a while, but uh, we'll see. So what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to try not to, to remember the days of Fan House and uh, Joe Sports Fan and any, any you want to name out there, the sites you haven't thought about for a, a minute that, that you, you missed? Well, I, I think of Walk Off Walk every day, the, uh, the great Rob King, Chris Lee Ghost thing. I, I mean, that, that was the best. Um, and then obviously, I will self-plug Big League Stew. I miss, I miss working with Dave Brown every day and doing the craziness that we did. Um, if I could have done big leagues too for the rest of my life, I would have been a happy man, but things change. Yet that they do. Um, <laughs> what we're going to do today, I never thought we'd be doing this, but we were talking about what we wanted to, to accomplish here. And we, we landed mm -hmm. on something that was extremely not important for the world, was extremely subjective, was something that maybe we get some controversy, but I have always had an affinity for movies that were set in Chicago. I've always been a big nerd about seeing cinema that was filmed on my block or at the very least being able to point out, oh, this was filmed there, whether that be New York, whether that be LA, whether it be Chicago. I have such fond memories of movies set in Chicago because the city is used in such interesting ways. I think when you get a movie that's set in New York or you get a movie that's set in Hollywood, there's a certain boilerplate that goes with that. And, and certainly in the past when it, when it comes to New York and certainly in the past when it comes to Hollywood, where I think that Chicago was kind of like presented as this land of, of innocence and fun. And even if you wanted to expand it to the, the suburbs with all the John Hughes films. So what we decided to do was the first inaugural, maybe we'll go back next year. I don't know. First inaugural Chicago movie draft where we're going to go, one by one, I will give you the first pick. You're going to be able to select any movie that we have deemed a Chicago movie. And, and I believe in this exercise, we did pretty well about keeping things that actually took place within the city limits. You will see that it's bereft of yeah. any, uh, any of the Glenbrooks, uh, any, of, any of the North Shore, uh, any, anything like that. So as you sat down to do this exercise, did you 
rediscover an affinity for those movies? Is it something that you thought about? And how difficult was it yeah. for you to, to come up with your personal list? I think it's tough. I mean, you, you kind of go through. I think that I probably have 15 or 20 to choose from. We did a round of, um, we each picked six movies. So I think it was a little tough because I, you want to have a good representation. I, I still feel like, okay, you're still building. You don't want all the same kind of movie, right? Um, so it, it, was, it was tough for me. I don't know if you want to talk about the, the you know, leaving out stuff like Home Alone or, or The Breakfast Club, but we kind of felt like stuff had to happen actually in the city. Uh, Home Alone kind of fell in there because they got O'Hare Airport in there, but I, ultimately we left it out. You know, and it's so interesting. We left those out and, and look, Home Alone, fantastic movie. If someone were to publish how often my young son has seen Home Alone. It'd probably be in the, in the hundreds of times. And I think that like Child Protective Services would take him away. So I, and that movie is a movie that has only grown on me. Uh, you could make the argument that the airport is Chicago's airport. I mean, it's nobody's saying it. You know, it's Rosemont uh, who's watching it. Everybody right. the Chicago's O'Hare. But ultimately, I think it was so cool that it kind of came down to like, we're not even going to test each other by, by putting it on. We're going to stick to stuff that's so inside the parameters so with that yeah. um, would you like to make the first pick yeah so i'm gonna go with ferris bueller's day off i think that's the number one pick you said it was a glenbrook free zone that's not actually true because the high school used in ferris bueller was glenbrook north high school so it starts off there but obviously uh, it eventually winds into the city and it's it has kind of like everything in chicago that you want right you've got the art institute you've got a day at wrigley field um, you've got an impromptu parade down Dearborn Street. You know, this is a set that, you know, it's, it's really Ferris's, you know, sandbox for the day. And I think all of us who grew up in, in the city, and I grew up in the suburbs, that idea of going into the city was like just so kind of, um, just so intertwined with, with, with growing up here. And I, you know, I've done that. I've, I've you know, I went into the city and then, try to figure out the train and get up to Wrigley field. Can we get up to Wrigley field for, for first pitch? And the, the, it's such a timeless movie, right? Too. Like it's you know 35 years old now, which is crazy to, to think about, but, uh, but it still stands up. It's just one of those kind of all time classic movies. I think it's, you know, kind of the Babe Ruth of, of Chicago movies. If you're, if you're going, I guess, Oh, the Michael Jordan of Chicago movies, you'd probably say, um, if you say, what's the best Chicago movie? You ask 10 people. I, I, bet you know eight or nine would say ferris bueller yeah it is it is the immediate gut reaction if you if you were to you know put this challenge in front of people like, oh it's ferris bueller because the, the the show or the movie is about him but it's also about the city um it's amazing there's been a lot of scholarly work done on whether it would have been possible for them to do all those events in the right. day i think the answer is is a hard no um, but again, it is movie. It is a movie. It is escapism. Uh, you're absolutely right when the, the term sandbox is so interesting. It's it's just it's the it's the play store. It's the it's the the candy shop. It is the place where all your troubles go away. You get away from all responsibilities, and you go and you have this perfect moment with the perfect people in your life. Um, I don't think that uh, the movie is so great because I don't think that those three uh our lifelong friends i think it's a snapshot of this moment in in time where they did mm -hmm. everything they wanted to do when they wanted to do it 
And there was an accessibility of getting to Chicago that I don't think you could do if you set it in New York. I think if, if that movie is set in New York in, in the mid 80s, it is much <laughs> different. And it is, it is much more harrowing. There's, a, there's yeah. more of an edge to it. And I don't think you get that hope and optimism. And, and in that way, I don't know if it's, it's a reflection of, of only flyover states or the Midwest or whatever you want to say. But there is this thing where like Chicago is the stand-in for the big city that you could just as easily do this adventure um, you know, I, I, I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, a little, a little small for having an adventure like this, but I think, you know, like mm-hmm. you have this adventure in Minneapolis or, or Indianapolis and it's, there's something about the way that Chicago is used that makes it so accessible. Yeah. But if you set this in New York, it's probably called quick change, which, which to me is like kind of the quintessential, like crazy, you know, everything packed into a day that could never happen movie set in New York. But I, I think you're completely right. Let's pause for a second to make some money. The one thing that stands out to me about Ferris is that they have never tried to remake this. As, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and they've remade everything in this, this nostalgia event in the last 10 years, right? I think anyone would be crazy to kind of tackle this again because it's such a perfect movie. You could, you could never improve upon it. They actually did, I don't know if you remember the Ferris Bueller TV show, that kind of bombed a few years later, and Parker Lewis Can't Lose actually ended up being a little bit better than that, but um, yeah, this is an original, they will, I, you know, if someone actually did try to see that, I would do everything in my power to try to stop the filming of a sequel or rebank or whatever you want to call it. So for my first pick, I went documentary. I went Hoop Dreams. Um, I believe this is the best document, best sports documentary that's ever been done. It's sure. kind of been lost to history because it is so dated. You 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 turn it on and, and the fashion, um, the city looks much different. The basketball mm-hmm. is different. This idea of the next Isaiah Thomas is so far removed from people's eyes because Isaiah's post-playing career has has, has has marred a lot of like what he was and what what he meant to the city. Um, my time in Chicago, working at the Sun Times, being at the prep desk, opened my eyes to the outsized influence high school basketball has in Chicago and in the greater Chicago area. And then everything is about going downstate, and it's about who's the next recruit. It is it is the hotbed. It is so important. I mean, the Indiana is always painted as the basketball state but if there was a basketball city it is chicago and this is such a gr- such a gripping look there's almost no frills um yeah. there's an audacity of hope uh there's an eventuality of long odds that that ultimately kind of win out uh the success is won in hoop dreams it is not a disney movie it is it does not have a particularly happy ending but it has a very realistic ending and it mm-hmm. plays out throughout the city in places where, you know, the economically downtrodden are looking for a way out. And that's juxtaposed about this golden ticket of basketball and what it represents. And you see, you see just how limited the odds are of, of making it to the place you want to be and, and all the challenges that, that are faced. And again, and then you extrapolate that out and you think, okay, well, this is just one movie about two kids that age. So like this is playing yeah. out tens of thousands of times in the city, all over the place. It, it's spectacular. Uh, if you haven't watched it recently, go back and do it. It really holds up. 
Um, it is it when it when it came out. I remember it was it was it was a PBS piece, and it was so. Um, it, it was kind of on the heels of the baseball documentary Ken Burns, uh, and right. I expected it to be kind of this nostalgic Norman Rockwell look at everything is okay. <laughs> and I remember it being surprisingly subversive, even though I think I was only ten years old, uh, and being confronted with the realities. Um, yeah, you'll see later on my list. This era of Chicago in, in on screen is so interesting to me. Um, it's it's sort of before it became. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's before the ER era, uh, maybe mm -hmm. normalized uh, the, the city on the national scale. So Coop Dreams is is my choice, my first choice. That's interesting, and and you probably couldn't get a bigger dichotomy dichotomy between our two picks between the North Shore of of Ferris Bueller and and the West to, to South sides of of Hoop Dreams. Um, you know, I, I really feel like in 2020, where people are kind of really struggling to understand what structural problems and inequities are really in place within society. If you could sit down, sit someone down uh, in front of Hoop Dreams for two and a half hours, you're probably going to have a better idea of really what they're up against. And, and the sad part is, is if you reshot that in 2020, it's probably not going to look a lot different. Um, obviously, we know a lot of the stories about Derek Rose and Kevin Garnett and Quentin Richardson, but the stories of William Gates and, and Arthur Agee are so much more frequent than <laughs> the names I just mentioned. So it's, it's the sort of thing that um, if you could, they, they took such care and time putting together that movie. And even 30 years later, there's still so many lessons that we can learn from and that we haven't learned from, which is, like I said, the sad part. It's a really good. Um, it's a really good example of what you can get as a storyteller if you don't go into something with the ending already envisioned and you don't write right. a certain ending. It is. It is a lesson in letting the work and letting the process speak for itself. Because you look mm -hmm. at the ending of this movie and it is not cinematic in any way. It just sort of ends. Yeah. Uh, and, and they and they go on, but there really is some beauty in letting just the process speak for itself. Were you able to see a, a movie called The Most Beautiful Thing this year? I was not. It's it's a movie uh, that's actually set on the West Side, and it's about the first all-black male high school rowing team um, that that was set in one of the high schools in Chicago. And 20 years later, these guys get together and row in a boat again in one of the regattas. And it's not as uh, well crafted a movie uh, as Hoop Dreams, and it's you know, but but it's it's a really good look. It's almost kind of an update of kind of that world, and um, you know, of the I don't know, five or six people in the boat. A couple have been to prison, a couple have been successes, uh, but it was all about about these guys. And I think you can um, actually watch it for free on Amazon Prime. So anyone listening to this podcast, or you know, even you, Kyle, I would definitely recommend watching a most beautiful thing. I, I think you'll enjoy it. Well, I have nothing but time. Um, <laughs> your number two pick is, uh, shows the realities of, of the city or the stand in for a certain city. Um, right. And, and it also has a sense of unsettledness. Uh, it is, it is, I have a strong personal connect, connection to it as well. Uh, but I was yeah. floor to your pick. Sure. So my second pick is 2008 Christopher Nolan's the dark Knight, the best comic book movie that has ever been produced. 
kind of really kicked the entire last 12 years of our lives uh, cinematically off. And Chicago was front and center. And I think walking out of that theater, and I, I saw it in IMAX, I was just kind of, you know, absolutely blown away because those were streets that we've walked down every, you know, how, how many times have we walked down LaSalle Street? Or, um, and Nolan was able to show us just kind of like the city in such a different way. And obviously he's, you know, probably the best director of our generation. So to have him here and not only do that with Chicago, but then to take, you know, two of the most, I don't want to say important, but most, most visible characters of our lives in Batman and the Joker and, and really able to, you know, to make us look at the post office, the old Brock's candy factory in a new way was just amazing. And I, I just, even, even watching that now, it's kind of like, how did they pull this off? Like, how could you, how could you even do that? And why did no one ever show us Chicago like that before? <laughs> Obviously it's because Christopher Nolan's a genius. Yeah. And, and I think that the key, I, I, I rewatched this movie before doing this and, and I was okay. struck at how interesting they made the board of trade and how the board yep. of trade is the centerpiece in so many shots. And it is not a building that I think elicits a strong emotion, even among Chicagoans. It's just sort of a building. Uh, but they were able to see it at the end of that street in, 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 right. in, in that picture and narrow uh, when you talk about the, the cop funeral, places like that, where they used the architecture, you know, as, as the first skyscraper city, there is this sense of claustrophobia. They spend so much mm -hmm. time on the roofs uh, or, or looking out over Lake Michigan, Michigan to give you the big view. But there is this sense of claustrophobia when you're on the streets and or where you, whether on Lower Wacker, all that place. Right. It's all the things, really tools <laughs> in the toolbox. And I mentioned I have a, my personal connection to this one is I was working at the Sun-Times when they filmed it and, and we would see, um, we would see Heath Ledger at the time. He was, he was skateboarding and we would see him out there by the river um, you know, doing, doing some ollies and stuff like that. It was always, and sometimes in character, which was really interesting, or <laughs> the bit players come in uh, and, and buy, you know, a pack of gum at, downstairs. And it's like, hey, they're filming this movie. It's a Batman movie. Like, we knew it was going to be awesome. And then we saw it on screen and it was just like, right. from the first scene, from the word go, you're just like, oh, this, this, is, this is just great. Like, the way that they've done it and the way that Chicago works in a way that I don't think that Pittsburgh worked or New York worked in the, in the next one is really fantastic. I agree. I have nothing but incredible things to say uh, uh, about, <laughs> about the dark Knight. There's, there's something to be said about being the best action movie uh, filmed in right. Chicago. Uh, and I think for my second pick, I went potentially for the second best action movie okay. filmed in Chicago. And that's the fugitive. Um, right. The Fugitive is a classic story. Again, it's that early 90s time in Chicago. It's the time where Harrison Ford was a movie star. Harrison, what Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones doing this movie, playing this cat and mouse game throughout the city is fantastic. And why it's so brilliant is because they use the large set pieces and then they also use the small stuff. They use the side streets where the guys eating oranges and making name tags. They use the they use the challenge of getting to Chicago, um, you know, by foot. They use they use the the hospital so well. There's there's an off screen allusion to someone being crushed by a car on Lakeshore Drive. It was just a real care taken to uh, 
to represent the city and, and no more so than when you when you consider the police and the US Marshals involved in this movie, an unbelievable representation of Chicago police, which is often tried. I mean, there's been so many different places that have tried it uh, to, to varying success, but I think they just nailed it. You can see all these guys mm -hmm. going back to Edison Park and living in the same neighborhood uh, and, and, and bitching about the bears. It's just, it's just fantastic. <laughs> A scene where the great detective work is done in small doses and it requires an intimate knowledge of the city where they hear the recording uh, and, and they track down what else stop it was. Just magnificent. I think, I think if you try to make that movie bigger and broader, like I know they would now, you miss those little fine details and you push Chicago to the background. But I think The Fugitive played out and it's the only city it could have played out. I think if Richard Kimball is a doctor in a different location if he's a doctor in seattle it's a it's a much different movie yeah except for the the waterfall which is actually located in north carolina but it actually adds to the entire thing so uh, i agree with you we're four movies into this and we have not yet picked a movie where if like i join it midway or if i see it on the on the guide it's like i'm watching it to the end commercials and all Oh yeah, it's 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 incredible. I mean, I think I think with our next picks, maybe we're we're going to go a little bit uh, further forward. Yeah. And and your next one is 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 a spot for me. Uh, I'm happy to see it on the list, uh, but I have a, I have a confession to make after it. Yeah, so I'm picking the Blues Brothers, which I obviously I love this pick at number three. I feel like I'm getting Michael Jordan. Yeah, I had to pick you know Ferris Bueller as the the Hakeem Olajuwon at number one and. And maybe I took a chance on the Dark Knight, uh, the Sam Bowie, and maybe that'll come back to bite me. But I get the Blues Brothers at number three. That's pretty good, Kyle. Uh, the 1980 classic, Dan Aykroyd wrote it. It's a little long, but uh, I actually wrote, to, wrote this to you. I said, if you could drop me into any movie as any extra, and I know people who are extras in The Dark Knight and The Breakup and, and, and Rookie of the Year. I know people have done that. I don't know anyone who was an extra in The, dark, uh, in the Blues Brothers, and I would have loved to to have been one pick any scene uh drop two-year-old me into it i guess that's two years old when it came out and obviously i had to catch up to this um and eventually see it and i honestly can't tell you how many times i've actually seen the blues brothers all the way through um it's been you know catching stuff here and there on tv and i, I know i have probably it's probably been 25 years since i have seen it all the way through but um it's just great i'm gonna go ahead with your confession right now never seen it <laughs> just, just the blind spot. I, I, I think that there's certain times where something will come up and uh, I just in the same vein, I've never seen Top Gun. We all have these movies that are classics. You know, you <laughs> should probably watch it. Uh, I had the, a similar situation happen to me with books where I said, you know, I've, I've never, never read Moby Dick. And I kept seeing uh, all this chatter about, man, Moby Dick, I don't know what I was expecting, but it's fantastic. Then I went and read it. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't I just go ahead and consume something that people have told me is good and, and couldn't be this widespread conspiracy lie? So I have to watch it. Does it hold okay. up, you think, if you were to watch yeah, it? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, like I said, it, it is a little long, but uh, I, I think it's one of those things where it was filmed in the city. That Chicago actually created the film, uh, a film office for this movie because movies really hadn't been filmed in Chicago. And um, it got to the point where they were doing car chase scenes and people were so thrown off that everyone was calling the real cops saying, hey, wait, there's a car chase. And even though there's a movie, it was such a foreign, foreign idea. Um, and obviously you have the Second City tie-ins with, with 
Dan Aykroyd and, and, uh, and John Belushi. So, yeah, I think it's funny you mentioned Top Gun because for the longest time that was a blind spot. And you get to the point where you're like, okay, I've never seen it. I just want to remain resolute and just be that guy. And my wife loves that movie. And the way that she actually got me to watch it is she agreed to then rewatch The Wire with me. I thought that was like actually a decent trade. I think Top Gun actually kind of sucks. I think there's probably a lot of, oh, hey, I was eight years old when this movie came out. I, I was bored. Um, the other movie I haven't seen, The Blind Spot, here's my confession, as long as you're making one. I have never seen Die Hard, and that's something I probably need to check off now that you know every idiot on the internet wants to say that Die Hard is their favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, I think if your email to me would have been like, can I pick Die Hard, I would have been a lot less excited to do this because – I mean, it's painting with a broad brush, but I, I find the debate over Die Hard being you know, <laughs> Christmas movie or whatever, like... Uh, it's, the, it's the new, is, is, as a hot dog, a sandwich. It's like, just, just get a new bit, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, epic cool. Uh, my next pick is one that I, I don't know if you've seen. Um, it is, it's Candyman. Uh, this movie is terrifying. And yeah. it's uniquely terrifying in the way that it's told um everything is dark it john singleton is absolutely unsettling he does so much work with his face uh and his expressions uh it's it's just it's the type of thing you watch and you will feel so unsettled the city is pictured in this this like almost almost like dystopian way where everything is this uh has kind of this bluish black film on it um you see virginia madsen's kind of like struggle to to find any ray of of sunshine i I put this one on the on the list because i wanted something on there that showed chicago could do um it could do the dark backlit alley new york stuff and it okay. can do it um, a different way. It can do it primarily in the daytime. And Candyman is a movie that is is shot in the daytime, even though I've said it's it has this dark film to it. But when you can make a movie that terrifying uh, with with the sun out, and you can make something uh, as routine as a bathroom petrifying, if you can you can you can kind of show the geography of I think I think that Cabrini being in it is so interesting because it's so close to the epicenter of the city, but the concerns mm-hmm. there seem so far away from, from downtown. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty trenchant indictment of, uh, of society and still is in the city in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a spectacular piece of filmmaking and I wanted it on there for what it did just to show Chicago's versatility um, and, and what you could do by changing, uh, by by putting by putting a movie, putting a, a horror movie in a new setting like that, which which you maybe wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have considered. It's the same, and it's the same era. It's around the same era of of Silence of the Lambs, and I think that there's mm-hmm. a similarity between the way they make Virginia or or whatever look kind of terrifying. It doesn't matter so much the setting. It's 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 the the tone and tenor about what you're going to do, and if you find some dilapidation, you're able to play off that. So I haven't seen that movie. I will have to add that to the list. Um, I'm not a big horror guy, but I think you just sold it to me. I will have to say your first three picks, you've gone um, Hoop Dreams, The Fugitive, and now Candyman. You kind of like let me know that uh, 
I don't know, you're not that optimistic of a guy. You kind of like the dark side, so. You know, it's, it's really interesting. It's a, it's a fair observation, and we'll probably get to see if I, if I pull myself out of this one by the end. Um, but that's not at all who I am as a person. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think I'm a pretty hopeful, uh, even-keeled person. Uh, and it is so interesting after at the top of this podcast, like shouting the virtues of, of Chicago being this uh, escape, right, right. escape hatch. I, I think I think I'm gonna after my last one I'm gonna sum it up where I think where uh, where some of this is 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 coming from. And now time to pay the bills. Do you have okay. anything more uplifting for me at, at four? So two two of my three I think have been kind of generally uplifting movies. My fourth is a triumphant movie, and you said you wish you would have picked this. I am picking the Last Dance, which we are just coming off of the ten part ESPN series that was one of the highlights of 2020. Uh, the Michael Jordan story, you know, we watched this over five weeks in the early spring while we were all locked down, two at a time. Um, I, I don't know if he just designed this movie to get rid of the crying Jordan, crying Jordan memes, which I think he has kind of effectively done uh, with some of the other things that have come out. But uh, I think it was so fun. It's not, I don't think it's without its, its criticisms. You know, there's, there's some hagiography going on here. Um, you know, I think that they probably could have done a better job with some things, but uh, for someone who grew up with the Bulls dynasty and probably will never see that again, to be able to get into that time machine and, and really go to a time when Chicago and the West Side was the center of the, the sporting world, I mean, undisputed, was just amazing to me. So when I look back at 2020 and I list, write a list of the good things, the last dance will be on there. And I think it's the sort of thing, too, where if I'm seeing that on ESPN, I'm probably not clicking off of it. They made Jordan driving to the arena seem interesting, uh, which is a feat. Yeah. Uh, probably instructive yeah. because that was a, major, it was a major part of his life. Um, also, it was, it was a real look at the journalism that was being done in Chicago at the time. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of work out there that fictionalizes Chicago journalism. There's a lot of movies about the Sun-Times. There's never there's mm -hmm. never Kiss. There's early edition. This actually shows what reporting was like at that time. I love the way that they presented the, the media, yeah. media ecosphere. Um, as someone who, who <laughs> joined it maybe 10 years after this, uh, I could see right. the reverberations and echoes of those people who played such a, a prominent role in there. That was absolutely awesome to see. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that seeing Jordan, and I think especially for people who are younger than us and just saw knew Michael as the crying guy on Twitter, um, it really showed a human side of him. And I think it was a good reminder to me that he wasn't always kind of like this monolith who was bitter during his Hall of Fame speech. <laughs> or a failure as the Charlotte Hornets owner, you know, going back to it, he was just a kid from North Carolina. So um, I enjoyed watching it. And like I said, the time machine aspect of it, I, I felt like, you know, I, I, going into the Sunday nights, I felt like I used to feel going into a big game against the Knicks. So that, that was pretty uh, valuable to me. And that's pretty amazing. And it's, and it speaks to, it speaks to a piece of a piece of art that understood, um, you know, its intended audience and became this national phenomenon. Uh, mm -hmm. But when you're telling Michael Jordan's story, and yes, they told it with Jordan. Uh, you mentioned the hagiography. You, you can 
go ahead and assume that he had tremendous editorial control, but you have to take great care to tell that story because he's still God to a lot of people who are in their, in their forties right. and fifties at this point and getting it right and getting it accurate uh, was a real feat. Great to see the city at that time. Uh, my next choice uh, harkens back to an older time. It's not particularly uplifting, although I would say <laughs> it's classic. And that's, and that's the untouchables. Um, mm -hmm. That is the two-hander with Kevin Costner uh, and, and Sean Connery. Sean Connery is, is, is amazing. It, it, it goes back to the time of Capone. Um, there's a rich tradition. Um, I believe it's, the book is Devil in, a White, in the White City, correct? The story about, that, about the murders that took there, about, about going... Okay. Um, around, you know, what, what, 100 or 120 years. And what I thought was interesting reading that book is the, uh, the imagery of, of the white pillars um, mm -hmm. uh, in, in that, against that murder. And then you, you take the untouchable <laughs> and, you, you know, there's the famous, there's the famous scene uh, with, with, with the stroller in the columns. And I like how it's, it's white and black. And they made this when I when I saw that scene as a kid, I thought that that was the center of the universe. That it was the most important <laughs> staircase. That it was this grand thing. Yeah. That it was this marvel. Um, and so seeing it for the first time when I was uh, catching a train someplace, I was so underwhelmed. It's but crazy, right? It, yeah. But it speaks to the movie and that it made these things seem larger than life. Um, uh, and I think a lot of the way, and I think I think that it's true. I think that that's true about about that era that's been really romanticized um and in in mysterious i think if you looked at like if you looked at like the the really like poured over the details about this time in chicago's history you'd be like okay well it's graft it's it's graft it's grift it's it's crime it's the same stuff that was happening in every single city but it just doesn't have uh the singular avatar that uh that that transcends it to like being this uh stand in for what was going on in all these other cities do you have any any recollections or, or thoughts on the movie yeah i love the untouchables it's been a while since i've seen it but yeah exactly when you know taking the train into the city uh for my previous job walking by that walking by that staircase every single time i mean so much of, of these lists is you know we we, we make these connections because we have connections to those places themselves. Um, so to actually see that on the big screen and know that uh, Hollywood or, you know, and, and the Hollywood's biggest stars kind of came and, and shot where, where we live is, is just amazing. Um, and look, you can't tell the story of Chicago without Michael Jordan. You can't tell the story without Al Capone. So to have, to kind of do this list um, and leave both of them off, I don't think would have been right. Yeah, and it's 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 weird. It's uh, it was it was it was the biggest movie in in America for a, a certain period of time, and it was formative mm -hmm. for uh, a lot of people growing up as like kind of a, one of the first serious auteur movies they would see, and yeah. it largely then kind of like pushed aside. It's it's something I haven't seen. Uh, well, you know, the other thing too is that we don't have Public Enemies or um, uh, Road to Perdition. Uh, Road to Perdition uh, on this, but <laughs> like those two movies don't exist without the untouchables. Right. So it's obviously an influential movie in, in Chicago movies too. 
Absolutely. And, and public enemies, they turned, uh, they turned Lincoln into that town, uh, that old timey town that was, I was living in the area at the time, Johnny yeah. would come in and, uh, dip in for some, some weird dinners and have interesting conversations at these, at these holes in the wall. And that was, that was a fun time again for me personally to, to be like, Hey, did you hear about Depp? He's been poking around. And I was like, Hey, you think we're going to run into him? And then, you know, probably, yeah. you know, in retrospect, probably good that we didn't. <laughs> I remember, uh, like 10 years ago, uh, that what the first Superman movie was filming out in Plano and uh, Russell Crowe, like the Russell Crowe sightings around Naperville were like, ah, I saw Russell Crowe on the Prairie Path. I saw Russell Crowe at Whole Foods. And yeah, it's always fun when there's a star in our midst. Well, speaking of rubbing elbows, uh, your next choice uh, dives right into that. And, and, and it's a good one. Yeah. If, if not, if not a bit of a hidden gem. So that's uh, 2013's Drinking Buddies. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people have seen it. It's probably been on every streaming service over the last seven years. So if you didn't, um, if you're a big Olivia uh, Wilde fan or J Jake Johnson, who is, a, who is an Evanston native, um, Rod Livingston, a Anna Kendrick, who had a hot dog named after her at Hot Dogs. Um, there's a lot of movies about growing up in the city um, that I think that could have kind of placed here but 20, 2013 was kind of like the wheelhouse for this movie to be made to really kind of speak to me just as the brewery scene was was expanding and it's a movie about relationships but there was a lot of stuff that you could really um you know weigh in whether it's the the we can get away to michigan whether it's helping your friend move you know on a hot day in a shitty walk-up apartment whatever so i've only seen this movie once or twice Twice. It's probably something I'd really like to go back and revisit to see if I like it as much seven or eight years this whole time of when I was, you know, that age and, and growing up in the city and single and unencumbered and all the other stuff that went with it. It does a great job of showing how much of the action goes uh, goes on at places that are sort of off the beaten path. I lived in Chicago for um, my early twenties. I probably misspent my time. Uh, <laughs> I spent too much time in Lincoln Park. I spent too much time uh, in the Gold Coast where I lived, uh, just mm -hmm. kind of on necessity because I was working a lot. But I, I, it makes me realize that there was so much more out there, that there was maybe a more real experience that I never, that I yeah. never got to, uh, that I never got to do. My biggest, you know, as a little personal, my biggest, my biggest complaint about Chicago was I, I thought that it was a bit homogenous. Um, in a way that it, that New York wasn't when I lived there, but I think with some time and some reflection, is I was just more adventurous and willing to seek this out, and and not even like adventurous, just just being willing to get out of comfort zone and realize that like preconceived notions were a little bit different. So I really love this story because it is a small story. It is not something that's trying to like make any broad statement about the world. They're not trying to. Uh, it's not a Fast and the Furious movie. It is it's a movie about drinking beer and the people that you yeah. meet drinking beer and, and, and the relationship that you have. It reminds me of, there was a Netflix show called easy and there was a, an episode with Dave Franco. Um, one of them called brewery brothers. You should check out, which is essentially kind of the same thing. They decided to start their own brewery. Uh, it, it has a lot of the tissue of this movie and, and it's spectacularly done. And it makes me so nostalgic for, uh, drinking beer in a, in a glorified, like, <laughs> you know, one of those, one of those garages on one of those, yeah. those small alleys, whether that are like tailgating, like it just evokes such a strong emotion uh, of, of something small, which, which I think is, is, is fantastic.
Yeah, the, the one thing you bring up about the homogenization of Chicago, I mean, you're not wrong. Obviously, this is one of the most heavily segregated cities in, in the country. Um, you know, it's not something that Chicago should be proud of, but there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, and I think it's reflected in the film. If you, if, if you look, not, not in Drinking Buddies, but in just kind of Chicago as a film, if you look at Chicago films, there's not a lot of movies that include both white and black people. I mean, so that's kind of something kind of going forward. How do you, you know, if you're going to make a movie about Chicago, how, how do you drill down into that? I'm, I'm not exactly sure how you do. Segwaying from that serious and important part, uh, <laughs> my next pick is probably the most unusual one on this list. Um, and, it, and it's for a very, uh, it's a very s small reason. Um, and, it, and it's Eagle Eye. It's, it's the Shia LaBeouf um, it's it's the Shia LaBeouf movie. Uh, it's it's a wild it's a wild plot. It's kind of like this techno techno thriller. Uh, mm -hmm. When Shia LaBeouf was filming it, he got arrested, um, which was which was great little Chicago Chicago story there. Uh, there is a bending. The reason why I love this so much, I'll get to the point here. They use <laughs> transportation so well. They understand how to take the everyday commute and turn it into something spectacular. And it's thrilling. There's been a lot of, there's been a lot of scenes on trains. This is the best one. Okay. Um, it, it, it's, 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 just, it's just fun. Uh, it takes you from the city up, up to, to Wrigley, um, which is something that I did so many times. Uh, and it's just really true. There's, there's a lot of moments of, um, uh, of small moments, neighborhood stuff, guys got to, you know, a job like everybody I knew had the same job that I wasn't interested mm -hmm. in hearing about because it was boring because it was doing something with numbers at some place in the loop and they got home at 730. You know, it was like, yeah. it, it, and then, and then, you know, things obviously like get what get way more interesting for him, but he's still trying to be like, Hey, this is who I am. And now I'm in this, the center of, of all this. So Eagle Eye, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. I just wanted to like okay. have an illusion. Uh, and, and while I'm mentioning Eagle Eye, I got to say source code, I don't think counts for this exercise, but source code is the Jake Gyllenhaal movie where he kind of, he lives the same thing over and over again. It takes place mm -hmm. on a Metro train at an undisclosed stop that they made up, but it's, it's equally fantastic okay. because it is his job in the, in kind of the future of like, going back and solving this pre-crime is about a terrorist incident that happened on a commuter train outside of the city. And, you know, not to spend too much time on it, but there's something scarier and, and, and more, more realistic about a, a terror attack that takes place in like everyday life than in this like specific tourist thing. And, and it does it really well. And I think Eagle Eye captures okay. this DNA. And I, I don't think you don't think you've seen this one, you said, right? So I, yeah, I swore off uh, Shia LaBeouf or whatever his name is after watching that last Indiana Jones movie. Like I just repressed, I tried to repress that memory as much as possible because that in, fourth Indiana Jones movie was probably the most disappointing film experience of my life. And then I don't know, he was in Transformers movies. So I kind of just wrote him off as someone I didn't need to pay attention to, but I will check out Eagle Eye on your recommendation. Um, is that guy still acting? Not only is he still acting, I'm going to defend him as being one of okay. the best actors still doing it. Uh, I watched okay. Peanut Butter okay. Falcon the other night. Watch Peanut Butter Falcon. Get back to me. If you don't like Shia LaBeouf after watching Peanut Butter Falcon, <laughs> uh, I, I will. I will so Indiana Jones was not his fault is what you're telling me. I will, I will take it seriously. I think the job that he does in Peanut Butter Falcon is one of the, 
one of the most interesting things uh, in, the, in the whole conceit uh, with uh, the way that he interacts with his co-star, uh, which presented a unique challenge, but was absolutely fantastic and gutting and, 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 and just so affecting to see. Uh, I won't spoil it. He plays, you know, he, he plays a hard ass, but he really shows how you can be a, a perfect mentor in a uh, in in an imperfect vessel. So I I, we, I look at it. we go all day on the buff, or we could get to your last. Okay. Thing. Yeah. I, so I, I was going to say like the, I, I've also written off the vampire kid who's going to be the next Batman, and people have told me not to do that. So I don't know. Maybe I should give people more chances. But anyway, number six, I am going with a fun pick. Um, another one where if you see it on any uh, Cinemax or dot, you know, it's probably like on the fourth Cinemax now. Above the Law by Steven Seagal. <laughs> If you just want a, a stupid movie where Steven Seagal runs around 1980 Chicago, beating people in alleys with baseball bats, this is the movie for you. I honestly don't remember a lot of the plot, but someone mentioned it on Twitter the other night when, right before we, we, we did this exercise. So I thought, you know what, let's just throw in some completely stupid, ridiculous movie with no merit. I'm going with Steven Seagal, Above the Law, 1988. If he can make a hockey game in Pittsburgh interesting, you know he can make... 1980s Chicago interesting so check that one out any any standout locations in that one any any scenes that that stand out so there were I, I went back and kind of looked there there's there's a site that kind of went through a lot, a lot of it's just kind of um just in, in neighborhoods and you kind of have to kind of pick things out and oh I, I've been there that you know that place looks nothing like that anymore there's a lot of stuff along Chicago Avenue um, but it, it's not like they have any huge set pieces, you know, with the bat, the board of trade as a backdrop. Uh, this is kind of like more of a neighborhood, uh, based type film. Yeah. I, in our, in our emails, I said that film Twitter was really gonna, really gonna get into us, uh, <laughs> as we, as we leaked oil, uh, down the stretch here. But again, if it's, it, these are, this is my list. This is your list. Uh, that's the great right. thing about movies. Uh, my final selection was really tough. There are a lot of things that I considered and I felt bad leaving some off the list, but I'm going to go with backdraft, uh, yeah. for my final one, much like the untouchables. There was a moment where backdraft was the most important movie in America. Um, 1991 actually, I think was, was the year but it was huge. I mean, it, it is, mm -hmm. it is, it is a movie that when you go back and visit it, like it sent the groundwork for, as we alluded to earlier, the, the Dick Wolf procedurals, uh, that it's a fire, it's a fire department show and people like watching shows about the fire department and movies about the fire department. And this is the, this is the biggest one. Um, it's true. It's, it's really good in the way that it leverages Chicago's political reputation as, as uh, you know, double dealing corruption and, and weaves it into like some more sinister themes about some guy setting fires. Um, and, and, and you see uh, how the fire department in Chicago, as it is so many other places is lots well, of police department or what have you is, I mean, that's the family business. So the, mm -hmm. the exploration of families, uh, whether it be for civil servants or whether you wanted to move that out to, to whatever it may be in Chicago was really well done. I don't really believe the actors as being Chicagoans in this one. Uh, that, that's kind of a miss for me. I think that there was a certain amount of uh, approachability and, and sentimentality that was uh, left on, the, on the, the cutting room floor. But that's what you're going to get with a lesser Baldwin, okay? Uh, yeah. 
no, you're not going to get the, you're not, not going to get the nuance with, with the lesser Baldwin. Um, and when it's, when it's a movie about things exploding and people dying and firing heat, you're not exactly going for the small beats, but you just go through and, and the way that their travels take you to different places of the city, there's a, at least a nod to the haves and the haves nots and, 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 um, you know, the interconnectivity of how everybody does that. And I think the final point I want to make about this is they made a, they made the ultimate Chicago fire movie without making you think that Chicago as the fire city. I mean, the most famous event in city's history, you made a movie about Chicago fire. Uh, and, and largely that was lost on me in the moment and only, only kind of came to me when I was going back, um, and, and doing this exercise. So maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but it is, it is a solid three, three and a half stars uh, uh, movie that, uh, that really presents working class Chicago excellently. So looking back at our lists, you went. <clears throat> Ferris Bueller's Day Off, The Dark Knight, Blues Brothers, The Last Dance, Drinking Buddies, and Above the Law. Yeah. I went Hoop Dreams, The Fugitive, Candyman, The Untouchables, Eagle Eye, and Backdraft. Any observations as we close here about what these selections say about yourself and what you think they might say about me? Well, I, I already touched upon what it said about you. I don't know. Like, I, I hope you're doing okay over there during during quarantine, Kyle. <laughs> no, I'm just I, I think we both. I think we did a, a good job. I think we kind of. I kind of want it, went into like the kind of bigger picture, bigger, with the, with the exception of, of Drinking Buddies, I kind of, where the city was a little bit more forward, I think you kind of went where the filmmaking and um, characters were a little bit more forward. I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm wondering what are people going to get mad at us for, for leaving out? And I think Backdraft, had you left that out, probably would have been the biggest one that, that stood out, but um, I think people will probably bring up High Fidelity uh, about last night. Home Alone, probably people will get get upset about that, even though we explain that away. Um, I don't, what's what's the big undrafted free agent out there for you? Well, it's not a great movie, but I would say Rookie of the Year um, is one of my <laughs> favorite. It's one of my favorite sports movies. Yeah. It's dumb in the way that you want a movie to be dumb when you're nine years old. Uh, it's the access they got to Wrigley Field is amazing. I mean, it is a movie where they're, wear yeah. they're wearing the real uniforms and it presents Wrigley as what it was at the time, which was just a place in the neighborhood. Uh, I remember seeing that um, growing up, growing up a Tigers fan and being like, oh, that's a different location for a stadium. You can just walk by and like look in and, and, and stuff like that. I think that Rookie of the Year would have been on this list. When it comes to high fidelity, um, I'm not a QSAT guy. So I don't mm. be particularly fond of the movie uh, either. I think that it does speak very well uh, to, you know, a record store, uh, you know, record store crowd, uh, maybe in Wicker Park at, at, at that point um, and really right. right there. But I don't think I ever, I don't really know if I ever lived that life and could get inside of it. Yeah, to me, like I, I like High Fidelity the book first, so I've never really considered it a Chicago movie since it was based off a book in London. Uh, but I, I, I still like. It. I think it's a great movie. Um, going to the baseball vein, Eight Men Out is probably still out there. I, I was debating whether or not A League of Their Own is a Chicago movie. Probably isn't, but I think you could probably make the case for it. Uh, really takes a good turn in it, uh, but I don't think anyone's going to get get mad that we we didn't draft that one. 
Yeah, this was really fun. And, and I appreciate you joining me. And I think that we did a pretty good job with our list. Although as veterans yep. of putting stuff on the internet, I'm sure we will hear when uh, and if we did not do a good job. So well, next time, let's do a draft of movies we haven't seen that will shock people the most. And I think that'll be fun. All right, so that's round two. His name, Kevin K. Duck, Midway Minute. Check it out, Kevin, thank you. Thanks, Kyle.